Hi friend, let's be honest. If you're anything like me, your life probably feels busy, crazy, and full. But even in the midst of the day-to-day, and no matter what life stage you're currently in, maybe you find yourself constantly longing for something deeper, something real. Maybe like me, you wonder about things like restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. In truth, I am on an imperfect journey of pursuing Jesus Christ and what it looks like to find those things in a relationship with Him. It's a journey I committed to years ago when I dedicated my life to following Christ, and it's a journey I invite friends to explore with me, even if, and honestly, especially if, you're not sure what path you're on. So for those who are skeptical, curious, or just need some encouragement, well, this podcast is for you. Come along with me as we journey together towards finding something real. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. Thank you for listening in. If you've heard previous episodes, you know we've been talking about ish, identity, and impetus, and how those concepts relate to finding something real. If you want to learn more about the current series, you can check out the previous episodes or visit my website, www.janellewood.com, where you can get project details and also sign up to receive the free study guide that goes along with what we've been talking about. Today, friends, we are on our way to wrapping up our conversation around ish. Ish meaning the things or issues that get in the way of us finding something real in Christ. And today, this is a bonus episode with a very special guest. She is the founder of an amazing ministry and movement called Mama Bear Apologetics. She is an author and general editor of an amazing book by the same name. It was just released this past summer, and the book is so good, it's flying off the shelves. She also has a master's degree in biology and specializes in dealing with doubt and identifying causes and solutions for youth leaving the church. And she's also a woman familiar with the hurt of this world, and yet, friends, she is still pursuing after the things of Jesus Christ. You guys, I am so excited to welcome this bold and courageous woman, Hillary Morgan Ferrer. Hillary, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I'm so thrilled to have you here today. My voice gets high when I get really excited. <laughs> <laughs> I have been so impressed with your wisdom, your passion for God, and your ministry, your podcast, your blog, and book. They've all encouraged me. Um, even the video I watched last night about doubt on YouTube. Would you talk a little bit about your ministry and the book and what exactly is apologetics? Who is it for? Yeah. So the ministry, um, it was funny. I said this on a podcast that my parents listened to and my mom was like, what? You never told me that. (laughs) It it was the question of how did Mama Bear Apologetics start? Or first, I guess, let's talk about what apologetics is so you can understand the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, apologetics is just a defense for the faith. So early lawyers back in kind of first century were called apologists. And so it means to give a reason defense, to give arguments for. And this doesn't mean being defensive and it doesn't mean being argumentative. It means to give reasons. So I, I like mm-hmm. when I talk with youth, I like to say who here has a band or an athlete or a sports team that you can give 101 reasons why they are the best. And basically, I have every single kid raise their hand. I say you are apologists for that band, for that sports team. You have reasons why you think they are the best and you can list them off. 
that is what we're wanting to do with what we base our eternal our eternal destiny on it's like if if we have that many reasons for why we think uh you know a, a musician is objectively the best musician how many more reasons should we have for why we think christianity is actually objectively true not just something we grew up with mm. and not just something that we think is the right thing to do but we actually think it's objectively true so um, so going back to uh, my husband and I were asked to help out with an apologetics class at my parents' church, and there was a woman who stood up to give her testimony. In fact, you can go and hear her testimony. It's, uh, I think, um, maybe podcast three and four on the Mama Bear podcast. Her name's Jody Weiss. And she talks about how she raised her kids in the church, and they, you know, they even rededicated their lives when they got to college, but her youngest actually decided to walk away from the faith after he got his first job, basically because he had a boss that said, Jesus is the same thing as Santa Claus. And he thought, whoa, that makes sense. <laughs> and so, that, I mean, just something that simple was able to rock his faith. And so she basically turned to studying apologetics. What are the reasons for this faith? Instead of just raising them up to memorize Bible verses, which is absolutely awesome. We should hide God's word in our heart. What are some of the objective reasons why we think Christianity is true? And so every time her son came home, they would uh, they would go over this. And I remember thinking that that's where the phrase mama bear kind of started. I thought, that's an instinct. It's a woman who does something she would normally never do, never have an interest in doing, but she does it because she sees her child in danger. And that's essentially what the mama bear instinct is. And so fast forward, I, I can't remember how long, I basically had a week where I couldn't sleep. I struggle with insomnia, but it was because I had this name Mama Bear apologetics going through my head. And so I thought, if I can just get this down on paper, I can go to sleep. Because sometimes, you know, if it's rattling around in your head, you just got to get it on paper. Yes. And so for, <laughs> yeah. So like three or four nights, I thought, okay, I'm just going to write. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And after three or four nights, I thought, holy cow, I've got like an entire ministry mapped out here. Hmm. And um, I had had people encouraging me to, to start a ministry. Um, I had no desire to. I like mm -hmm. to be number two. <laughs> I like to be the secondhand man helping whoever's in charge. Never wanted to start a ministry, but the Lord was very clear. And he basically downloaded this entire ministry. Um, and I kind of had one of those Moses kind of argumentative experiences with him where I'm saying, well, Lord, this is for moms. And you know that I'm not a mom. Who's going to listen to me? Yeah. And he very clearly said, you know what, you have something that most moms don't have, which is you have time to research. Hmm. And I said, that is true. And um, so that's basically what I've been doing. And I feel like the Lord said, if, the, if you equip the moms out there, even though you can't be a mom, if you can equip the other moms that are out there, you have been the best mom you can be. So hmm. um, that's my way to, I guess, fulfill the... Not the Great Commission. It's the original commission of to be fruitful and multiply. My just fruitfulness and multiplication is different. And so I'm I'm committed to moms yeah. uh, because I think they're the ones getting the questions mm -hmm. first. So I think if we equip the moms, we equip the kids. Wow. wow. It's such a good book. I love it for a lot of different personal reasons. Um, but before I get into that, if somebody wants to know more about your ministry, where can they find you, Hillary? Yeah, uh, they can go to the website. It's Mama Bear Apologetics, and Mama is spelled M-A-M-A. -M -A. You would be surprised at how many random <laughs> variations. I was like, I had no idea there's so many different ways to spell Mama. But um, yeah, M-A-M-A -M -A and then bearapologetics.com. Okay. 
Awesome. So you have a book, you have a podcast, you're a speaker as well, and you do a lot of research. So you're one busy woman. Uh, yes, <laughs> I used to have a lot more hobbies and I basically had to decide, you know what, I'm just going to call these down. And uh, this it's it, this ministry is kind of like my child. When you become a mom, a lot of times your, your hobbies <laughs> go by the wayside. So uh, this is what I do now. Well, I love the book for so many different reasons. Um, I grew up in the church and had my own season of doubt um, and hurt. And I tend to be a real feeler type of person. So, mm. you know, I lead with my feelings and then get to <laughs> uh, the truth. Yeah. Um, some people are better about leading with truth and then having the feelings. <laughs> uh, not me. God designed me with an extra dose of the feeling gene. Well, that's a, that's um, a majority of women. I'm actually the outlier. So, you know, yeah. Uh, welcome to being, you're normal. I'm not. So that's yeah. Okay. So I definitely have dealt with my own seasons. Kind of, I, I guess I never fully walked away. Um, but in my heart, I definitely wasn't walking with the Lord. Um, yeah. And another reason I love your book is also now I'm a mama and I love this book for the equipping it provides me as I raise my young kids. Mm -hmm. I also know quite a few of my Christian peers who are progressive now. Um, they've come to this point where, and your book actually talks about yeah. this, kind of um, changing some of the hard things in the Bible to fit a certain narrative um, of what they believe God should be. And I love those people in my life, and I don't even know how to deal with that. Um, so I love yeah. that you address it in the book and that you've edited and written. And then I also, I work with young women who are very similar to who I was when I was growing up. Um, and I love those girls. And we also host exchange students from around the world. Um, and to be honest, my heart is so, um, it's so for these girls that I love and they're probably listening right now. I hope they are. And if you are, I just want you to know that I love you as I'm talking about <laughs> you. <laughs> it's true. She was telling me all about how much she loved you before we started. Uh, yeah. Um, I've had really deep, heartfelt conversations with these girls about faith mm -hmm. and about how you can even believe in a God and believe in absolute truth and believe in the Bible when it's just, um, you know, according to them, a book of fairy tales. Yeah. Um, so... Hillary, I guess I would love to pick your brain a little bit about those things because it's just, they all grew up when they, they were all born um, between the late 90s, early 2000s. So they're part of a generation, um, and I think you talk about it in your book, um, where they're more likely to be atheists than any other generation. Um, and yet my heart is for them. Um, and I just love, I love what you talk about in your book because... Uh, yeah, it really addresses some of the things that we've talked about. I love it. If you're listening, please go buy it. <laughs> so yeah, yes, go buy it. Why do you think people are having such a hard time believing that the Bible is real anymore? Well, uh, I just did a, a talk a couple weeks ago at a place called Frisco Bible Church. It's in the DFW area. And one of the things that I talked about is I had just a real basic statement that was kind of a summary of the gospel. It was something, I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was something along the lines of, it is objectively true that Jesus Christ is the son of God who came uh, to earth in human form, lived a sinless life, died and rose again, appeared to many people 
to save us from our sins. That I, w- I would say that would be the gospel in a nutshell, right? Yeah. Um, what we have right now is, so I would say back in um, my generation when I was younger, we were having problems with the idea of the evidence for this. If you could just prove the mm-hmm. evidence saying, did Jesus really live? Do we have evidence that he lived? Do we have evidence that he died? Do we have, like, what evidence do we have outside the Bible says so? Uh, what we're finding with this new generation is it's not even the the historical evidence because the historical evidence is being rewritten. In fact, the, there's a, I'm looking at a book right now called Postmodern Times, A Christian Guide to Contemporary Thought and Culture by Gene Edward Veith Jr. And one of the things it talks about is how the concept of history is being questioned right now. That history is, instead of it being a set of objective facts, it is being reinterpreted as this is what was recorded by the people in power. And so you need to look past what it says to see what was really going mm-hmm. on. So number one, we're, being, uh, we're starting to question just the very nature of historical inquiry. Uh, secondly, the idea of saying that something is true. Like it, the idea that, so the, the classic definition of truth is that which corresponds to reality. Mm. And back when I was in high school, this wasn't something that people really questioned. It was like, yeah, there, there's reality and you kind of can't question reality. But nowadays, reality is being redefined as a subjective experience in someone's head. It's their perception yeah. of what is true. And that that can actually override the objective reality of the physical world. Mm. And so to even say that this statement is true, people are not being able to uh, to agree to that. To them, the word truth is an oppressive word. People, mm-hmm. it, is, it is literally said, you know, the people who are kind of the anti-free speech and the, the anti-truth are saying, when someone claims something to be true, it's a power play. So you need to find out what kind of power they're trying to get over you. Instead of saying, hey, we're looking at objective reality of how the world is. So if we can't believe that objective truth actually exists, that it's just a power play, then that sentence that I that I said of the gospel will make no sense. Yeah. Um, if we can't believe historical records, then even if we look back into history and we can see evidence that Jesus Christ really did live and die and it makes sense that he rose again when you look at all the alternate theories, which this book actually doesn't go into that. There's a really great one. Um, by J. Warner Wallace called Cold Case Christianity that goes into the evidences for the resurrection uh, and the evidences for scripture being reliable. So if we can't believe in history, we can't believe in truth, we, we don't believe that God exists, that entire statement that is a salvation statement, a salvific statement, doesn't make sense. And so right now, I think what's happening with our youth is they're being told that reality is not, they they can't even trust the physical world for reality. They can't trust history. They can't trust anything. And at that point, it's just kind of a choose your own adventure. And um, why submit to a God that you don't believe exists? There's no reason. Okay. Oh man. There's so many things you just said that trigger memories of conversations I've had with people in the past. So um, I think you're right on first off. (laughs) You said in your book, um, and let's see, I think it's page 121. I highlighted and underlined this. (laughs) (laughs) If people are wanting reasons to doubt Christianity, they'll find them. You can always put another question between yourself and God. Yes. So how do you even reach someone who's in that place of Mm -hmm. you can't even trust reality? There's just constant questions. 
I think this idea of you can't trust reality um, is an unsupportable statement. It's an untenable statement. No one can actually live this way. Mm. And so when you start pointing out things of, um, you know, you have to have the right directions in order to get where you're going. There is an objective reality that exists. If they can, if they can realize an objective reality exists in one area, then that means that that concept of objective reality exists. Hmm. So it's it's this idea of having to prove that no objective reality, no objective truth exists. You, there's a lot that you have to do to make that work. And it's unsupportable because people live as if it does. Mm. And so when you point out different ways that they are living as if objective reality exists, like um, uh, I need to, you know, gravity exists. <laughs> I, I can't just jump off of something or say that uh, I was reading an article uh, just today that's talking about the number of people, the, the number of young people in their 20s who have transitioned um, genders who are now regretting that decision. And one of the things that they talk about is that every single cell in the body has a gender because of those chromosomes. And we are different down to the molecular level. And no matter what you claim in your head is your gender, Mm -hmm. a doctor needs to know how you were born in order to treat you with the best possible treatment because Mm -hmm. the body is an objective reality. And no matter what your head thinks, certain medications will react differently with males and females. This is, this is something that um, uh, f- the philosophy and, and agendas just basically get stopped with science. Of we, we need to know what this person is in order to give them the best medical treatment. So how do you even respond to compassion yeah. in this world where the constant narrative, I mean, I've heard it, um, you're so close-minded and you don't know what you're talking about. It's our reality, mm-hmm. our truth. Um, I see it all the time, this message of just be you, you do you, I'll do me, and we're all good. Yeah. Um, first off, I, I think I mentioned this in the book, this idea that um, we all say you do you, you do, I'll do me, and we'll all be good, that that's going to get rid of all oppression. But the fact of the matter is it doesn't get rid of oppression, it just changes who's oppressed. Mm-hmm. And it means that anybody who has any actual convictions um, – they're going to be the ones that are kind of oppressed because you can't have convictions that go against the narrative. So, but uh, I think practically in this world, one of the things to do is realize that there are deeper issues at play and get to know that person, find out why it is that they believe what they do. You need to become an expert on what they believe because you can't begin to speak truth into a situation until you have accurately, um, understood the situation. And in this case, I think uh, asking questions is a lot better than making statements and finding out where they're coming from. Um, uh, where, How did they come to this conclusion? I mean, you think back to the, the Greg Kokel uh, tactics book of, oh, how did you come to that conclusion? Um, and finding out why they believe that. And then starting to ask questions that maybe just gently question their philosophy on the idea that reality is inside of our heads. Well, you know, ask them, well, what about the medicines that react differently with male and female bodies? How, how should a person react to that? How should they report their gender if they know that there's going to be medicines that react differently to male and female biology? And just see what they say. Um, I think one of the best things is helping people to kind of critique their own worldview instead of you critiquing it for them. Yeah. Uh, when they come to a conclusion themselves, it, it's going to have a tendency to stick a lot more. But in that time, while you're building that relationship, 
um, you're building trust. You're saying, I hear you. You're trying to understand. Um, my dad used to tell me something that I just think is, you know, basically great advice in general. Uh, and he said that when you're talking with someone, just ask them a lot of questions about themselves and they will leave that conversation thinking it was the best conversation they've ever had. <laughs> and <It's> uh, true. <laughs> there's something in us that really wants to talk about ourselves. So you know what? That that's one of the ways that we can be a servant and that we can be we can die to self and say, I want to know about you. I don't want you to just know what I think. I want to know what you think. And then in that you build the relationship to where you can start asking pointed questions that maybe um, help to expose some of the lies. And, and, and if you read the Mama Bear book, one of the most important things that we emphasize is that you need to find the things that you agree with. Hmm. If you can't find those areas where you agree, um, the person is not going to listen to you. Uh, it's a phrase where I say you'll be heard, but you won't be understood and persuasive. And our desire is to be understood and persuasive. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the book really kind of helps you go through how can you agree with the things that you can agree with? And then how can you spot those lies that are wrapped in partial truths? Because the fact that they are wrapped in partial truths, we need to acknowledge those partial truths. Otherwise, people will think we're not objective and they'll just write us off as 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 closed minded, just like you said. So good. I love what you said about questions, because Jesus obviously had the answers right, but he also asked a lot of questions. <laughs> yes, he did. Um, to really get to the heart of people. And so I love that advice to reach out in love and questions to try and find out where the heart is and encouraging people to examine their own things. Um, it kind of leads me to my next question. So I've had, and the person who asked me this will know who I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I have a really special friend. <laughs> I love her so much. Um, and if she would just call me more. <laughs> and she told me once, um, I'm just kidding about the calling me more part, uh, kind of. Anyway, <laughs> she told me once we were having a theological discussion and she asked me what I thought was the greatest love. Hmm. And I shared with her, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life. And if I remember right, she said, well, that's how we're different. She said that she believed that self-love is the most important. Ooh. And I was just wondering how you might respond, um, because I didn't feel like I responded very well. And I'd love to hear with your knowledge what you would say. Well, one of the things that I've been really thinking about lately with a, a series that I'm writing is the idea of... There's something called the revenge of conscience, and that's where people kind of go against what they truly know, but I want to change it a little bit and call it the revenge of reality. <laughs> um, and it's basically, I think we can understand the moral order based on it. it, it and this could very easily get into what's what's the word? Um, pragmatism, uh, which I don't want to, uh, there's another word for that. And I can't think of it. It'll come to me in a second. Utilitarianism, that's it. Uh, of, you know, basically you do what works. And so I'm not advocating for that. However, I think there is a moral order that is not just values. In fact, I go into this in the, um, oh golly, which chapter is it? I think it's the emotionalism chapter. Uh, no, no, it's the moral relativism chapter. Uh, this concept of moral facts. Hmm. A lot of people put morals in terms of values. And I would say love would be in one of the areas of values. But 
this is something that I believe is actually not just a value. I think it's a moral fact. And facts are the kinds of things that have consequences when you disobey them. (laughs) And so if you look at what a society would look like that was constantly just focused on loving themselves and not on others, what kind of society would that be? (laughs) When you have people that are constantly trying to get their own um, needs met and their own wants met and ignore other people, what does that look like? Does that look like a well-functioning society or does that going to end up with a, a bunch of selfish people who are constantly warring, uh, not worrying, but warring, W-A-R-I-N-G, <laughs> is that how to spell it, um, to, get their, to, to get their own desires met? I mean, that to me that that's kind of like putting a bunch of toddlers in a room. That's that's essentially what they're doing is they they haven't learned to think about other people's needs. They don't know how to. That's that's the kid that doesn't want to play with the toy, but as soon as someone else wants to play with the toy, then they get mad because they don't want someone else to play with it. It's it's people constantly it is a selfish society. Hmm. And so if that is the greatest love, does that correspond to um the best reality and the best society that we can have. And I would say, no, that would be one of those things where you have the revenge of reality, where a bunch of people who are following that example, that's not a good society. On the other hand, if you have a society where everybody's constantly worried to make sure to put their neighbor before themselves, what kind of society do you have there? Mm -hmm. And so the problem with this, and I think this is where a person who might believe this is coming from, is that to me sounds like someone who was raised with some sort, and I, I have no idea what their family is like, and it may not be parents, it might be someone else. I think when you're raised with authority who abuses their authority to get their own needs met, mm-hmm. you learn that it's just me, myself, and I. I have to get my own needs met, and that is going to be my value. So this would be an uh, an opportunity to find out uh, what are some times that you felt like you didn't have your needs met mm-hmm. and that you had to get them uh, get them met yourself and start really going into that because that sounds like there's a lot of hurt that can be worked through. And once you start listening to that, um, that builds those bridges, but it's someone who has seen basically someone who's seen a sinful society that doesn't put people above themselves are more likely the ones that are going to say self-love is the most important because in their experience, that's the only way to get their needs met. That's pretty insightful. (laughs) Okay. Oh, okay. So I'll ask you another question that I've uh, gotten a lot. I've had multiple agnostic friends tell me that the Bible must be a book of fairy tales. It's a book they believe that people made up to fit their own purposes. Mm-hmm. And it's just dismissed as being something like anything else. Um, I hear from my agnostic friends or atheist friends, I'm not Christian. So why would I ever even pick that book up? Yeah. What do you tell that person? Well, first off, uh, this idea that people got power from Christianity, I would say you need to take a look at the history of Christianity, that uh, it's a pretty bloody history and not bloody in the sense that uh, Christians were the ones that were um, waging war, but they were the ones that were laying down their life. If they were looking for power, this was basically the absolute worst way to get power (laughs) because you have no power when you're dead. Um, secondly, and one of the things that I like to emphasize about the Christian religion is out of all the world's religions, it is the only one that can be objectively studied and objectively tested. Mm. So you look at every other religion and, uh, basically every religion is one single guy who had, uh, an experience that then he goes out and tells a bunch of people about this experience and they need to take his word for it. 
And then you have a bunch of people who are following that one guy and they're willing to die for it because they think it's the truth. (laughs) So, you know, because people say, well, people die for things that are false all the time. We see this in other religions. However, Christianity is the one religion. It's like every other religion, it's almost considered anathema, like uh, to to question it. I know in in Islam, that's one of the things you don't question. Mm. Um, Christianity is one of the ones that says test and see and, uh, you know, test all things (laughs) and and, uh, approve what is good. I can't remember the exact phrasing. I'm so bad when when I'm on the spot. I think it's 1 Thessalonians 5.21. But we are called to test. There's no other religion that asks you to test the claims claims of their religion, but Christianity does. And so I would look at, I would say someone who thinks that the Bible is saying things that someone wanted to say, I would say, go and read the Sermon on the Mount. That is the last thing I would ever want to have to abide by where it's saying it's not just having an affair. It's if you even look at someone with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. That's not something that I would say, hmm, this sounds like a great rule to follow. I think I'm going to need to control all my motives all the time. Um, It is an impossible, (laughs) it is an impossible task to live up to the Sermon on the Mount. It's not something I think anyone would say, hey, this sounds great. So uh, that and the idea that the suffering is a really big Uh, theme throughout the New Testament and how to suffer well. If I were creating something so that I could have power, I would be talking about how to subdue everyone who disagrees with me. I would not be talking about turning the other cheek. I would not be talking about loving my neighbor. Um, And I definitely would not make up a lie and then die for it. And, and one of the things that uh, Charles Colson, Chuck Colson, which people know now um, as a Christian, he was not a Christian before. And one of the ways he became a Christian is he was originally part of the Watergate scandal. Um, and what he discovered is even with just a couple of guys could not keep a secret for like a year. And when he started looking at the disciples and how not only did they stick to their story, but they stuck to their story unto death. He mm-hmm. looked at his own little posse that had done the Watergate and thought, we couldn't even do this for a year. There is no way these 12 guys were able to make up a a lie and stick with it and die for it. There is no way. Um, And that itself right there is one of those things where you really have to answer, how did these things come about? Why were people willing to die for this? And say, how is this religion different than others in the sense that it wasn't one guy that had a revelation? It was Jesus Christ uh, living a very public ministry dying a very public death and appearing very publicly to, uh, I know at one point, at least over five, uh, 500 people at a time to show that he had risen from the dead. This is not one guy in a cave saying, this is what was revealed to me. Everybody follow me. It is something that can be objectively studied and questioned. Wow. Okay. So I have multiple questions following all of that. <laughs> okay. Um, let me try to remember them. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I talked with a very close agnostic friend um, about a year and a half ago, and we were talking about the Lord, and I just asked, are you afraid to become a Christian? Mm-hmm. That's an excellent question. And she said, maybe. Huh. She said, maybe. It was after I had given this talk to a bunch of girls, um, a bunch of Christian girls at this retreat, and there was just this like um, this amazing like Holy Spirit moment. Um breakthrough that happened, you know, um, I can't explain it except, um, I don't know. It, it had happened throughout, 
um, the weekend or the week that we'd been there. And then after uh, the talk that I gave, there was just this breakthrough that happened. I was a closing speaker. And um, anyway, it it wasn't me. It wasn't anything, but it just felt like it was something bigger. You know, there was something big that happened there. It was spiritual. And um, my agnostic friend um, had been listening to this talk. And after it was over, um, I stepped away from all the exciting things that were happening, all the partying that was going on, you know, the um, dancing and the singing and all of that. And I broke away and I, I stepped into a room um, on the other side of, of the wall um, and I called my friend. Um, and she had called from across the world at a crazy early hour <laughs> um, to hear me share. Yeah. Um, and anyway, uh, when I was talking with my sweet, sweet friend that I love with all my heart. Yeah. Um, and she's more than a friend. She knows that. <laughs> but um, that was one of the questions that I asked her. And that was the honest answer that she gave. Um, so I'm just wondering, I guess, where does that fear come from? Because um, I don't know that she's alone in that, you know. Um, I think there's a lot of people today, young people, who don't want the suffering, um, don't want the weirdness that maybe they attribute to Christianity. I lovingly tell my friend that I'm the crazy Christian in her life. You know, it's good to just own <laughs> it. she knows that I love Jesus. Not that I'm totally weird, hopefully, but uh, I do talk about Jesus a lot. Um, and I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts about that, because, yeah, like I said, I love her more than almost anything. First off, I got to say that was a total God moment, because for someone to admit that, yeah, I am kind of scared to become a Christian, that is one of the most honest things I think I've ever heard. And that's a question I, I think I'm I, I think I'm gonna start using that when uh, when I talk to people. And that's the kind of thing that I mean, bravo to you, I think they would only be able to admit if they felt safe mm-hmm. with you. And I love this, this heart that you bring to the ministry that you do. Um, did you ask her why she felt scared? I may have. I remember I was in a room adjacent to the party going on um, and getting off the phone with her. And I think she knows this, but um, when I got off the phone with her, I just wept. Yeah. You know, um, because how do I say this? It felt like in the Bible, you know, where Jesus talks about um, the lost sheep. Yeah. And he goes after the one. I could hear all these girls on the other side of the wall celebrating, right? Mm -hmm. They were dancing and having this great time after an emotional retreat. And then here was the one that I was talking to who was closed to God. Um, And it just broke my heart. And for the first time in my life, um, you know, I have children and I love them so much. Um, And it is such a blessing to be their mom. Um, and obviously apologetics matters for me, um, because of them as well. Right. But another reason why I love your book, Hillary, um, is my heart is burdened. It was burdened, especially in that moment for her. And, um, my close friend, um, like I said, she's more than a friend, but we've had lots of conversations, um, and she'll probably tell me I remember this conversation wrong. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe not. But we've had lots of conversations that have kind of gotten there. Yeah. And there's just this resistance, this kind of, I don't want to go there um, yeah. thing. That's for you and not for me. 
And um, I know it has to be the Holy Spirit. Mm. I know it has to be God's timing. But as someone whose heart is just burdened for her and for friends that I love that are like her, um, I think God, you know, equip me, equip me (laughs) to be prepared in those situations because you know you've opened the door for ministry with people like her and um, for her. And just, I started this podcast and she knows this in part because of her, (laughs) in large part because of her. Um, And hopefully she's listening across the world right now. Well, I think there's a lot of reasons why someone could be scared. And this is where the the questions come in. Um, They could be scared because they know that uh, the society that they're in, if she's across the world, it could be that um, she runs the very real risk of losing friends and family if she decides to make this commitment. Uh, It could be that she has seen authorities within the church, and if if she has to submit to Christ, she thinks she has to submit to those authorities too, and she doesn't trust them. I think that's a scary thing, especially with, I mean, all the the Me Too stuff coming out against, with all these pastors that were covering up abuse. Um, Good grief. I mean, the bride of Christ is a hot mess, and there there are legitimate things to be scared of. but thankfully, we're, we're, we're called to follow Christ more than we're called to just follow the authorities in our life. And so we are called to do what's right. Um, golly, I just think of so many things. There's a lot of things. There, there's this whole Pascal's wager that talks about uh, that is really kind of a lot of people use it as if it's a great reason. And I think it's a horrible reason. But Pascal's wager <laughs> goes like this, that basically, um, if God doesn't exist, mm-hmm then you really haven't lost anything by living your life as if he does exist. But if he does exist and you live your life as if he doesn't, there's eternal consequences. I think this is a horrible reason to believe in God. Number one, because if you you think that being a Christian (laughs) means that you're not losing out on anything, you don't understand Christianity. You're okay. So you're probably the first person who's who I've ever heard say that um, to me and that I know of. And I've thought that for a long time, what you just said, Um, because I've had people tell me that like in Bible study before, like, oh, you know, if nothing else, if I believed all of this and it was a lie, then at least I lived a good life. And I'm like, no, (laughs) I mean, not that I haven't had a good life, but (laughs) all for the gospel. I mean, I, I think back to what Paul says. It's like, if this is not true, we are to be pitied as fools. And, you know, we're supposed to be, you know, pitied among amongst everybody because we are giving up everything for this. And I would say the same thing for me. Boy, my life is pointless. I have wasted so much time when I could have been having, you know, fun and doing a lot of other things, you know, (laughs) making money (laughs) for one. Um, Yeah. If this isn't true, I have given up my life. And and Hmm. that's a big thing to give up because we've only got one. Um, except for if you're a Christian, you believe there's the life to come. And that is what I'm living for. Yeah. so it could be that she is scared that what if this isn't true and I believe it is true and then I give up all for that. That's a reason to be scared. And I think that's a legitimate reason to, to be concerned. Yeah. And it's a legitimate reason to question Christianity. But at the same time, it's also a legitimate reason to really dig into those reasons to see, is this something that's objectively true? And I love what my husband talks about with this is kind of the... Um, the trend that we see with people. And this is how I think Christianity works. You have this kind of thin surface veneer of Christianity, and I will call this the childlike faith. It's the ones that have never really questioned anything, and they just kind of go along because that's what they were taught. Hmm. 
you dig underneath that just a little bit and you come up with a whole mess of questions, a whole mess of parent contradictions, or a whole bunch of reasons not to believe in Christianity, and most people stop there. But the thing is, if you go even deeper, there is just this embarrassment of riches underneath that middle layer Mm -hmm. that are firm, foundational reasons to be a believer. And if you are just living on that surface and then someone kind of comes and digs a little bit and shows you all those questions, a lot of people just stop there. What you need to do is you need to keep pressing in and really decide, is this true? I would say that uh, in the talk that I gave at Frisco Bible Church, I had kids in there from 6th to 12th grade as well as their parents. And I said this, I had them all write down on a note card, do I believe that Christianity is actually true? Uh, And then the second question is, um, why, um, why or why not? And I wanted them to put that on their mirror as they got ready for, you know, where they get ready for school every day. Because I said, this question is more important than what school you chose, you choose to go to, than what sport you decide to play, than what your grades are, than what major you choose, more important than who you marry and what your job's going to be. This is the question that is the most important question that you can answer, because this question is the thing that doesn't determine our, you know, 80, 90 years here on this earth. It's the question that determines what eternity will be. So if there is one question that you need to make sure that you get right, this is the one. Wow. That's so good. Um, So my follow-up question is, I heard a podcaster once say, his name is Thomas Umstead Jr. And I know I've mentioned him in this podcast before, um, an earlier episode, but um, he mentioned that passion really is about suffering. Mm. That the word passion is literally about what you're willing to suffer for. And Hillary, when I hear you, um, I hear a woman who's passionate about the Lord, who admits she's given up a lot to follow Jesus. So I'm just wondering, where does that passion come from? And why Jesus? Uh, that's an interesting question, because this was actually part of my prayer today that I was thinking about. Um, kind of not sure if I should share this, but I told you I was basically going to be honest on this whole thing. I really feel like I've been called from the womb. Mm. Like, honestly, when I was a kid, you know, four years old, I never had a conversion experience. I always knew who God was. And I always just had a feeling that's who I'm supposed to serve. So it's it's kind of ironic that um, Mm. one of my my biggest things that I study is doubt because Mm. I've never actually struggled with my own doubt because I have always known who I was in Christ. Mm. And uh Sometimes I feel like that makes it sound shallow, like I really haven't dug into this, but I have. Um, he has been real to me since I can remember. There, there's, there's two, two verses in scripture that I think really sum up why I do what I do. Um, the first one I believe is Isaiah, and I should, you know, if I say that this is like what sums me up, I should really know where <laughs> it is, but you know, that's what Google's for. Um, I think it's, I no, it's Ezekiel, I think, where he talks about um, the, the word of God is like a fire in his bones and he's weary of holding it in. Hmm. That there is something that compels me to do, to, to follow Christ in a way that I can't really um, chalk up to just my decision. It's, it's hmm. how I was created. Hmm. Um, I feel compelled uh, to follow him. And I feel compelled to find ways to serve and to find ways to make him known and to, to, 
to know in my own mind that this is true. It's a compulsion. It's something I I almost feel like I can't control. I think I could have walked away at any point, but there's something just that I it cannot resist that uh, tells me that Christ is true. And once I was able to go through apologetics and be able to justify that in my mind and say, no, I know this is true. My emotions cannot lie to me anymore. That that sealed the deal. And that was, you know, that was when I was 12 years old, which you'll read that, that story in the, the first chapter of the Mama Bear Apologetics book. Um, but the other verse that I think of is Paul when he's talking talking about uh, preaching and people are asking, I don't think people are asking why he preaches, but he says, basically, woe to me if I do not preach. Hmm. It's this idea that he has to preach. It's who he was created to be. Hmm. Um, and so I think both of those kind of describe why, excuse me, why I am the way I am is it's a fire in my bones and woe to me if I do not do this. I love the Lord so much. Mm -hmm. And I remember even in high school being so disappointed at every single testimony I ever heard Mm -hmm. where people talked about, you know, they were saved at a later date and they, you know, used to do drugs and, you know, they got pregnant and had an abortion or they, uh, you know, were in a gang and all this stuff. And then, you know, at the end, and then Jesus found me and everything was great. And I remember thinking just with all the pastors and with all the people who gave their testimony, where are the people who grew up in the church? How have they grown cold to where they don't want to be in ministry? And is there any hope for me? Am I destined to grow cold? Because all I see when people give testimonies are people who are changed later in life. And I used to think that my testimony was worthless because that wasn't what my testimony was. But I think the Lord's kind of rounded out my testimony <laughs> by really giving me a lot of stuff that would normally make most people walk away from the faith. Um it has not been a fun road for, for those who don't know. Um, so my mom had cancer. My poor dad, he's had to deal with all three of his girls having cancer. My mom had cancer when I was in college. Um, I had cancer right when we, we would have maybe started having a family. Um, went through seven months of chemo. And uh, physically, I'm still not really fully recovered from that. And it was about 10 years ago. Um, and then my sister just died of cancer almost exactly a year ago, like three days from now. It'll be a year. Um, I would have really liked to have kids, but that wasn't in the cards. Um, I've struggled with depression and anxiety, uh, and the Lord's been really uh, working with me on that. Um, my emotions can be all over the place. Uh, I have chronic kidney disease to where I only have about 30% function in my yeah. kidneys. Um, now, you know, well, I'll just lay it all out there. Now my liver's starting to go. So, you know, good times. Um so my body isn't exactly uh, a well-oiled machine. And I remember uh, back when, we, before I knew I had cancer, uh, being with a group of people where they were, they were reading that verse about how we were fearfully and wonderfully made. And I remember uh, as everybody was praying, I was kind of on my knees and I just started clinging to the leg of this girl that I kind of knew from church. And she, she knew that I was having some kind of health problems, but we didn't know what. But I remember just feeling so angry at that verse. Mm-hmm. Of saying how I, I, you know, that he w- wove me together in my mother's womb and I'm fearfully and wonderfully made because that did not feel true at the time because I was having so many health problems, which we didn't know was cancer at the time. And I was just angry at that verse. There are so many things that have could have caused me to walk away, but I can't. I cannot walk away because there is an objective reality that exists. Wow. And the Lord blessed me with teachers in my life to show this to me before 
all this horrible stuff came down upon me to where I would have to check my brain at the door to walk away from Christ. And I cannot do that. That's the one thing, you know, we were talking about how you're more of a feeler. I am definitely more of a thinker. I cannot, I cannot deny what I know. I can't unknow what I know. And because of that, no matter what happens, I follow Christ. So I guess that's where my passion comes from. Hillary, you're amazing. (laughs) I'm just like sitting here uh, practically with tears in my eyes and just listening to you share. Just know that God has some amazing things for you and um, he's doing through you and he's not done with you yet. And I'm so thankful for your willingness to come on here today to share from your heart, from your experience and, and from your mind because it benefits those who listen. And yeah, he's not done with you. I do have, oh man, I could ask you a lot more questions, but I do have one final question Okay. Um, today. The Finding Something Real podcast is a journey towards restoration or redemption, eternity, authenticity, and love. Mm. And of those four gifts that we can find in Jesus Christ, which of those stand out to you the most in your life right now and why? What am I, uh, it's eternity, authenticity, love, and what's the fourth one? Restoration or redemption. Mm. I would say the restoration or redemption because I think everything else is encompassed by that. Um, mm. The entire Bible is the story of restoration and redemption from Genesis to Revelation. Um, it helps us to understand why the world is the way it is. People who don't understand original sin question, why is the world so messed up? And I just kind of, you know, look like, you know, raising my hand going, ooh, ooh, I know, I know. It's this original sin. It's a really big deal and it's really messed stuff up. Um, But I don't think there's any single part of us from our physical to our mental to our emotional to our spiritual that has not been affected by the fall. And God is in the, he is in the business of restoration and redemption. And it's because of his love and it's because of authenticity and it's because of what, what was the other one? Eternity. Eternity. It's for the purpose of eternity that I have that hope in eternity. Because if this life is all that there is, all that we have, then yeah, then we could say, why is there so much suffering? But if there is an eternity and there's a reason for this suffering, hmm. I mean, it all comes down to redemption. The, the the Bible from beginning to end is the story of redemption. And um, I think this year, like with my sister's death at the end of last year, um, it would be an understatement to say that I broke, like hmm. fully, fully broke. Um, yeah. And so this last year has been my own journey of redemption and and restoration as the Lord's basically been revealing just slowly but surely all the ways that I have not been taking care of myself, um, both emotionally and physically. And so he is slowly restoring to me. Um, he's, still, he's slowly restoring me. And uh, yeah. That's who, that's who Christ is. And for those who feel broken, um, don't look inside for the answers. <laughs> You're the one that's confused. The answer is not inside. Uh, we have to look out outside of ourselves and we need to find someone who's trustworthy. And I believe Christ has proved that he's trustworthy. I remember this one women's conference that I attended years ago. Um, 
where it was a girl that I just met at a conference. And then she was like, well, I'm giving, I'm talking at a women's conference this weekend. You want to come? So I was like, sure. And she was amazing. Um, but one of the, the moments that I remember so vividly is her talking about something that she had gone through. And I, I can't remember exactly what it was. It might've been some kind of abuse or rape or something like that. And her being angry with God and asking, where were you? Where were you when this happened? And she just got this vision in her head of Christ's back um, just, you know, shredded by the cat of nine tails, mm-hmm. um, on his way to the cross after he'd just been beaten to a bloody pulp and the Lord's saying, that's where I was when that happened to you. Oh, wow. And there was a woman behind me and beyond this, there was a woman behind me that I remember hearing just the walls break. And she just, it was one of those almost guttural cries that you could tell that that just answered a question for her that she'd had forever. Um, that we don't serve a God who says, um, hey, good luck with your suffering. We serve a God who says, because I'm going to restore you and you need to know that I know what you're going through, I'm going to come down to earth and I'm going to live a human life to live all the pain that you're going through. He, he, you know, we, we're not really sure what happened to Joseph. He's not mentioned later on. So it's very likely that Jesus didn't have a father figure for very long. We don't know. We don't know for sure. We know that he's not mentioned in, in most of the gospels outside of, you know, Jesus's birth. Um, we have a guy who was betrayed by his friends. We have a guy who was rejected by his family. We have a guy, uh, you know, it says in scripture, we have a high priest that's able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses. Yeah. And because of that, it's, he, he doesn't say suffer for me. He says, I will suffer for you so that then you can follow my example. I will not ask you to do anything that I haven't done first. And that's a God I can trust. Wow, Hillary, you've got me crying over here. It's so good. The last couple of days, um, if I'm being honest, it's been, I've been feeling really heavy. Um, there's this little girl and I, I don't even know her, um, not personally, but I've been following her story through social media um, for a couple of years now. Um, and praying for her for a while, and um, the prognosis doesn't look good, you know, and um, it's just heartbreaking. She's three years old, and, um, you know, I have young children, so um, anytime I see children suffering, I'm like, God, where are you? Where are you? And uh, even though I love the Lord, right, Um, there's still days where my feelings are like, where is he? Um, Mm. so when you shared that, uh, that description of the cattails and my husband and I were just reading, um, in John this morning about the crucifixion of Jesus. And, you know, I mean, there was not a worse death that they could have envisioned at that time. Um, and he chose that time and that place to come. Um, and nowadays if he had come, there would at least be a humane way, right? Humane, humane way to kill him, hopefully. Um, but he chose the worst. Yeah. He chose the worst and he chose the nails, just like Max Lucado um, said. Um, I just, wow, that visual, um, I'll remember forever. So thank you. Um, I'll remember you sharing all of this and all that you've been through and yet are still serving Christ and doing it in a way that blesses anyone hearing it. I just want to encourage you, if you're listening right now, look into Hillary's website, listen to her podcast. It's so rich. She's got so much, so much great information. 
Um, her book is incredible. Um, it's called Mama Bear Apologetics, and it is, um, it's only been a, out a few months, um, and I think on the second printing at yeah. Amazon, so it's doing really uh-huh. well. It's actually on the fifth printing now. <laughs> oh, hello. Yeah, come on. <laughs> this thing is amazing. So if you're a mom or a leader of young kids or even older kids, this is an amazing resource that's worth looking into. And um, you can even lead a small group around some of the discussion questions at the end of each chapter. You should definitely look into it. Hillary, thank you again for being here today. My pleasure. Until next time. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. If you love this series, hit subscribe and come back next week when we talk with another guest about their story towards finding something real. Per usual, you can also follow along on Instagram at Janelle underscore M underscore Wood or using the hashtag Finding Something Real. Every Thursday around 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, I try to jump on there and host an Instagram live where we recap the week's episode, talk with friends and answer any questions that might come up. So feel free to join me on there. And of course, you can also sign up for the free study guide that goes along with this current series by heading over to my website at www.janellewood.com. Remember friends, you are loved and have a purpose. Until next time.